0: welcome to the teaching ministry of bay ridge christian church this teaching is from the series the beautiful community as the image of the trinity the church is called to be the beautiful community of unity and diversity and everything we need to accomplish this has been given to us by god so that we might overflow with blessing for others we hope this helps you understand and apply god's word in your life today today we're going to be looking at another aspect of the beautiful community this being forgiveness Again, in this whole series, we've been looking at the church as the image of the Trinity. Today, we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 29 through chapter 5, verse 2. I remind you, uh, chapter and verse divisions were not there in this original letter, so they chose to break this up as a chapter, but you're going to see it's all one section that is together. So we're going to look at Ephesians 4, 29 through chapter five, verse two. I'll be reading out of the New International Version. So hear now the word of our living and our forgiving God. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. If you're paying attention in our culture right now, one of the things that's happening and something that's become kind of a term is referred to as cancel culture. And cancel culture, what it refers to is the current atmosphere of extreme judgment where people can have something they said even back in high school, 20 years ago, get pulled up, And the response is this person should be shoved out of the culture. They should never speak again. They should never be heard from again. Uh, They are canceled from whatever they have done because of actions or words or even a lack of actions or words. This is not just about holding people accountable. It's essentially the attempt to remove or silence them forever. And let me say, this isn't limited to one side of the political aisle or one side of, of what's going on in our society. On all sides, they're doing it. If you say something that is not liked, you should be destroyed, you should be fired from your job. There, there is just all of this rage that comes out against you. And in fact, many people on all sides are saying, something's not quite right about this. Something's going on and it shouldn't be this way. But the reason it's that way is you and I, as fallen beings, like revenge. We like those who've done something that we didn't like to pay the piper. I don't like justice when it applies to me, but I do like it when justice applies to you if you've done something to me. And so, how do we build a beautiful community? How do we deal with the fact that there is sin? There are wrong actions. Every one of us are going to say and think and do things that are wrong. That's not a question. We are going to. The question is, in the middle of a cancel culture, which is ugly, how do we build a beautiful community of forgiveness? Now, Let's begin by looking at the Trinity and forgiveness in the gospel. Again, all these texts I've been looking at are not just dealing with these topics, but they're specifically Paul telling us, or another biblical writer telling us, something about the Trinity and then applying it to the life of the church. And so here we see that the Trinity is woven into this passage. Notice in verse 30, we're told, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. And in chapter, and uh, verse 32, we're told that we're to forgive each other just as in Christ God has forgiven you. So notice we have the Holy Spirit, Christ, and God speaking of the Father. So once again, this is not just an appeal to a certain aspect of church life, but it is an appeal that Paul here is building on the nature and the life of of the trinity and so this essential aspect of church life is built upon who the trinity is so this isn't just an appeal to forgiveness there were many greek philosophers that might have made an appeal to forgiveness but paul is giving us a call for forgiveness built upon the character and the life of the holy trinity Once again, it's a statement saying because the triune God is the reality of the universe, because the entire cosmos flows out of the life and the nature and the character of the Trinity, then a blessed life, a beautiful life, is one that is lined up with the way our triune God is. And Paul, in this case, says that means a culture, a church, a people of forgiveness. And so... The call here for forgiveness is based on Trinitarian love. Notice in uh, verse 32 and then carrying through to chapter 5, verse 2, it says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So he's beginning with forgiveness, but notice how he moves on. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, living a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So notice, forgiveness, love, Christ's sacrificial death, which opened up forgiveness for us, are all pieced together here. They're all tied together in Paul's mind. And this is because if you want to specifically speak of it, forgiveness is not an essential aspect of God's character. Now, why I say that is because before anything else existed and it was nothing other than Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, what was there to forgive? Nothing. What there was was love. An essential aspect of God's nature and character is love. Forgiveness is is how love responds to sin and so paul is saying here you're called to forgive but here's why you're called to forgive and the reason that god has forgiven you is because god is a god of love and you are to imitate god's love and what that looks like when it comes into contact with one another and there is sin is you forgive one another and so forgiveness is only possible because love is an essential trait of the very nature of the trinity in other words if God is not love you and I would live in a cosmic cancel culture and it would be the ultimate cancel culture I might say I'm going to cancel you but I have limited power But friends, if God were to cancel you and me because of our sins, we would be ultimately canceled. But the reason we don't live in that is because the essence of the relationship between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit is love. What that means is forgiveness flows out of the Trinity to cover and to cleanse sin. And that's what Paul's driving at for us. And so forgiveness For real, egregious sin is a visible expression of the love of God in our fallen, sin-soaked cosmos. Because God is love, we don't live in a cosmic cancel culture. We live in a place where forgiveness is here and is offered to you and to I. Now, this is important for the church because the church... um, is to be a place of forgiveness because forgiveness lies at the center of the gospel. If there is no gospel, there is no church. But the church is the people who receive and celebrate the gospel, and forgiveness lies at the center of the gospel. So notice again in verses 32, um, and then in chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, he says, you're to be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as in Christ God forgave you. You're to live this life of love as Christ loved us. And he says the way that this worked out is Christ gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The good news of forgiveness centers on God's forgiveness of our sins, our cosmic rebellion, because of Christ's work in our behalf we're not just forgiven, well, just because, we're forgiven because Christ sacrificed himself in our place. We had real, egregious sin. And there was something to be forgiven. And Paul says, but Christ gave himself to do that. This is why I was reading an essay by C.S. Lewis this week on forgiveness. It was actually a sermon he preached, and I'm going to give a quote from it later. But Lewis said, I was struck last week standing up in church that we have the, the, the creed we're reciting, the Apostles' Creed, which is a very short summary of the faith. And he says that one of the statements we say is, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. Of all the things we could pick out of the Bible, why would we make the statement, I believe in the forgiveness of sins? But the reason we do is because it lies at the center of the gospel. If there wasn't forgiveness of sins, there's no reason for you and me to be here today. Just stay home. Don't bother gathering to worship if there's not forgiveness of sins. But Christians across the ages have confessed, I do believe in forgiveness the forgiveness of sins. I don't believe that ultimately it's a cancel culture. I believe there is forgiveness. There is redemption. And so our songs, our preaching, when we come to the Lord's table, these are all a regular proclamation, a regular celebration of the forgiveness of sins that lies at the center of our faith. That's why we were singing these songs this morning that are about exactly that, the forgiveness of sins, what God has done for us. And so the church, first off, is called to be the beautiful community where the forgiveness of sins offered in the gospel is received, is recounted, and is celebrated. That we celebrate the fact that there is forgiveness of sins. Because friends, if there is not forgiveness of sins, you and I are in deep, deep trouble. Make no mistake, you stand before a holy God and I stand before a holy God. If there is no forgiveness, I can't begin to express the trouble in which you and I would find ourselves. But thanks be to God, we gather every week and we sing and we preach, and we recite, and we celebrate that there is forgiveness of sins. I do believe in the forgiveness of sins. Now, Paul says out of that, we are to be a beautiful community of forgiveness. And notice how he expressed this. We are called to extend this forgiveness to others. We're not just a community that comes together and says, hey, it's great, God forgave me. I'm not forgiving you, but God forgave me. Paul says that's not possible. So notice here the call in verse 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. So the church is not only the community of those who receive forgiveness of sins from God, but we are also the community of those who extend forgiveness of sin to others. Now, it is true that means we extend it in the gospel and tell people your sins can be forgiven by God. We should be the culture that does that. We should be the community that does that. But it also means when you have sinned against me personally as one who has been forgiven by God because of what Jesus has done, I will forgive you for what you have done for me, So I not only extend the forgiveness of God to others in the gospel, but I personally forgive sins that others do to me in thought, in word, and in deed. This is what the church is called to be. As a community built upon and pulsing with the life and character of the Trinity, The church is the community where forgiveness, both divine and human, permeates everything. If God does not forgive, the church does not exist. But because God does forgive, because it flows out of his very nature of love, the church does exist, but also the church, therefore, is a community of forgiveness to others. We are not a cancel culture. We are a place of forgiveness. Now, I'm not gonna answer every question about forgiveness this morning, but what I do want us to do is look through this text and see what Paul tells us we need to understand to be able to practice Trinitarian forgiveness. And there's four basic points that he makes that we'll look at each of them briefly. Number one, we forgive one another as God has forgiven us. Verse 32, be kind and compassionate, to one another, forgiving each other just as, take notes, underline, just as in Christ God forgave you. This is an "owe me verse. This is a scary verse. The standard of forgiveness that I am to extend to you is the standard of how God forgives me in Christ. Friends, God forgives me freely. God forgives me completely. And God does not forgive me because I am worthy of forgiveness, but because in fact I'm not worthy of forgiveness. You don't confess and I don't confess that God forgives me because I'm worthy. I confess I'm forgiven precisely because I am not worthy. We forgive because god has forgiven us trinitarian forgiveness flows from god's love for us which is expressed in the free forgiveness of all of our sins in jesus christ all of your sins are forgiven and therefore how many of other people's sins am i to forgive how many all all this is challenging this is hard and i want you to think jesus often linked my sins being forgiven with me forgiving the sins of others. Scary, scary line in the Lord's Prayer. Father, forgive me my debts, my trespasses, just as I have forgiven those who trespass against me. So what am I praying if I am not forgiving somebody for a sin against me? What am I asking God to do? Lord, I'm holding them accountable. I want you to hold me accountable. That is such a scary prayer that we all just mumble and work our way through. But that's what Jesus said. I want you to forgive me just as I have already forgiven others. Lord, I'm, I'm telling you I forgive everyone for everything they're doing and I'm asking you to do the same for me. You remember there's another time, a parable in Matthew chapter 18, verse 23 to 35, we won't look at it today, but you remember it's the parable, it's very famous, of the unforgiving servant, where the guy owes a few dollars in our modern economy, he owes a few bucks to his master, and the master comes and says, hey, give me the few dollars, the guy says, I don't have it, he says, well, then I'm going to throw you in the debtor's jail. And the guy falls on his knees and says, please forgive me for these few dollars that I owe you. Or no, actually, not a few dollars. I mean a million dollars. He owes millions of dollars. So he says, forgive me for the millions of dollars that I owe you. And the master looks on him and takes pity and compassion and says, okay, I forgive you. And then the servant gets up and he goes out and he finds a guy who owes him like a buck. I mean, the amounts that Jesus gives are, you've been forgiven millions and this guy owes you nothing. It's a cup of coffee. And The guy says, hey, you owe me my money, give it back. And the guy says, I'm sorry, look, please, just give me a day or two. And he says, no. And I'm throwing you in the debtor's prison. And then what does Jesus say God will do to that person? He says, hey, that's the way you want to be. He says, the master comes back and he'll throw you in prison and you'll stay there until you pay every penny, which I remind you is millions of dollars, which means you'll never repay it. And Jesus is telling us by that, how much has God forgiven for you and me? All And friends, your debt before a holy God. See, you can only sin a few dollars worth against me because that's the most I'm worth. But my sin and your sin against a holy God is millions and millions and millions of dollars. And it adds up every day. There's interest compounding every day. And every day Jesus says, I just wipe it all out. And Jesus says, how are you going to turn around and go to somebody else for the little thing they've done to you and say you won't forgive? Make no mistake, not just Paul here, Jesus himself regularly said, the forgiveness I offer to you must be extended to others. It's not an option. It must be extended to others. Secondly, second point that's in this passage is unforgiveness grieves the Holy Spirit. Notice in verse 30, what an what a interesting term. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, He's reminding us here that he's the Holy Spirit of God, and he seals us for the day of redemption. He's the mark so that on Judgment Day we stand there, the Holy Spirit has sealed us, and God says, oh, you're my own, you've got the seal on you. The very spirit that is sealing us that way, Paul says, don't go grieving him. Now, there are many ways you and I could grieve the Holy Spirit. All sin would grieve him. But what's the particular way Paul's talking about in this passage? It's all relational sins. It's specifically forgiveness. Paul says if you don't forgive as God has forgiven you in Christ, you grieve the very Holy Spirit who is going to be the one that marks you on the day of judgment. On that day of redemption when you're standing there and your body is to be raised up by God. The very Holy Spirit that does that, you're grieving by not forgiving. To refuse to forgive others, grieves the Holy Spirit, and it dams up the free flow of God's love and forgiveness in my own life, is what it does. Those who refuse to fully and freely forgive others cannot experience the full and free forgiveness of God in their own life. There's something about it when I'm the one who will not forgive someone for what they said or did to me, the the more that I do that, the more it reduces my capacity to actually experience God's love and forgiveness flowing in my own life. I damn it up. I shrink my ability. Show me somebody who is unforgiving to others and I'll show you somebody that struggles with God's forgiveness of their own sins because it just shrinks our capacity. And it's because we're actually grieving the Holy Spirit, the one by whom we experience all this. See, I can stand up all day long and recite and say, I believe in the forgiveness of sins, but I experience them by the Holy Spirit. And if I am grieving the Spirit by not giving forgiveness of sins, I can't really experience it myself. Third thing Paul tells us Is forgiveness will produce a change in my my words, my attitudes, and my actions towards the other person. Now, notice here in verses 29 to 32, I'll put them up and we'll just kind of talk through them all. But notice what Paul says First, forgiveness will change my words about and to the other person. Notice in verse 29. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. But I remind you, Paul here isn't just talking about random words. The whole context is about interpersonal relationships. And Paul's saying there's a way you can speak to one another that is unwholesome, that tears one another down, and there's a way that you can speak to one another that is healthy and good and actually benefits the other person. Forgiveness will affect the way I speak to other people. If you've been a parent, you've all seen this, right? Your child, one child says they're forgiving another child, and all you need to do is listen to like three words, and it's like, no, I can tell forgiveness has not worked into your soul yet. Your entire demeanor in the way you're speaking to the other person does not speak of forgiveness at all. Well, you know what? We're the same way. Paul says further in verse 32, uh, verse 31, notice, that we're to get rid of slander. Slander is when I'm talking about somebody behind their back. I'm speaking something regarding that person to someone else. If you want to know if you've forgiven someone, are you speaking evil of them behind their back to other people? Because see, if I have not forgiven you, what I want to do is I want to get other people on my side. Okay? See, I'm, Upset with Marty here. I'll pick on Marty in the first row. And so I go over to Jer and I say, you know, and if I mature and have a theology degree like I do, Jer, I have a prayer request that I need to share with you about Marty. And what I'm really doing is saying that Marty doesn't deserve to be forgiven. I want Marty canceled. And I want you to join in with me. We all do that, friends. Paul says you can't be doing that but secondly, see, little kids just say things. As we get older, we learn to sometimes not say it, but it's still seething inside of us. So Paul turns and he says, forgiveness actually also changes my internal thoughts and my attitudes towards the person. Notice verse 31. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. See, these are Things that can happen inside me where I am just bitter towards the other person. All you have to do is mention that person's name and I can feel it, you know, the acid crawling up the back of my throat. That is a sure sign I have not forgiven the other person. Unforgiveness is working in my heart. It's the mental tape I play. We all do this, right? You're driving down the road, you got time to be thinking, you just start, your mind starts working and going. If it comes across that person and the thoughts are bitterness and anger and I'm upset, what does that tell me? I have not forgiven the other person. I just, whatever I'm saying, I have not actually forgiven them. Notice then Paul moves in verse 32 to outward actions. So we're moving from words and attitudes to actions. He says in verse 32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as in Christ God has forgiven you. So forgiveness is going to change my actions towards the person. The way I'm externally going to behave towards them will now be filled with kindness and compassion, which are actual positive actions. I don't even just stand by and I refuse to do anything negative, but I'm not doing anything to help. Paul says, no, you've actually got to work and be kind. You've got to be compassionate because how did God in Christ forgive you and me? Did he just sit back and do nothing? Or did he actually extend grace and actual actions to work redemption for you and me? See, this is where that just as comes in. Jesus didn't just sit back and do nothing. He positively extended good, grace-filled actions towards those who did not deserve it. And Paul says, you do the same thing. And then the last thing is forgiveness is costly. Always. Forgiveness is costly. Notice in verse... Chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. Live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Because Christ loved us, because he was acting on this Trinitarian love, because he was forgiving us, he sacrificed himself to God. That word sacrifice is chosen by Paul specifically, because forgiveness requires sacrifice. Forgiveness is costly, always. Hebrews 9, summing up the entire Old Testament sacrificial system says this. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. The whole Old Testament sacrificial system teaches us this sin is costly, and to forgive sin costs, and it costs deeply. It costs the shedding of blood. Now, how that works for you and me, I mean, notice number one, that's literally what Jesus did your sins and my sins are forgiven because Jesus literally shed his blood. He died so that we might live. He bore wrath so that we might bear blessing and that our sins might be forgiven. It was costly for him to extend forgiveness to us. The same thing happens to us because when I have to forgive you, it feels like death to me. It's painful. I don't, because see, what I want is there's that part of me that says, but you deserve to pay for what you did. You, you sinned against me and you should pay for that. And if I'm to just give that up, that's so painful. If it wasn't, we would find it easy to do. But see, because it's not, it is very costly. So please hear me on this. The reason we don't want to forgive is it seems so costly to do so, and in fact, it is costly. But the only thing more costly than forgiveness is unforgiveness. Because unforgiveness, see, the thing is, is forgiveness costs me now. Unforgiveness is like an unpaid loan to the mafia. It is accruing debt and it's accruing it at a rate you'll never pay it off. And what it's actually doing is reducing my own soul and my ability to receive and, and have the grace and the mercy and the love of God flowing in my own life. The longer I'm unforgiving, the harder my heart becomes and the harder time I have even receiving the grace of God that is given to me in Christ Jesus. It affects every area of my life. So, C.S. Lewis, in that uh, sermon I mentioned earlier, summed forgiveness up this way. To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable in others because Christ has forgiven the inexcusable in me. Notice that word there inexcusable. The question in forgiveness is not, well, was it a little foible? Did they really not mean? He says, that, that's not the point. See, because here's the fact, you and I did mean to do what we did. What we did is, in fact, inexcusable. But God has excused it and forgiven it anyway. And to be a Christian means I extend that to others. So how do we apply this? The, the applying the word's a little different in this. I'm just wanting us to, to kind of think through what it means to have these character traits built into us as a church in the midst of a culture and a world that is very often building the exact opposite. So what does it mean to be a beautiful community of forgiveness in a canceled culture? What you and I are being discipled in every day, because we see this constantly around us, is that we not only refuse to forgive, but we forever remember the worst thing someone has done. And technology has enabled us, see, I can pull up that quote you put out on the internet. And even if you remove it, there are sites that helpfully keep it there forever. So even though you've deleted it and apologized about it, I can still pull it up. And in fact I can get a video of you saying it how many ever years ago and keep letting that define you moment by moment by moment and that's what we become expert in because that's what our culture is discipling us in we continually dredge up old words or actions and refuse to give forgive and I can tell you this underlies the destruction of most friendships marriages Churches, communities, nations. Marriages do not usually fall apart because of something that happened yesterday. Usually, it's something that happened years ago. And it's been there, and interest has been compounding. And it is building up and up and up. And now, when you touch that thing, it just seethes. And to forgive it is costly, but not nearly as costly as not forgiving it. So see, this is, this is practical. This is every day in every one of our relationships. The same thing happens in churches. People have been having things build up for years, and then suddenly the thing erupts, and you can't deal with it because what it's dealing with is 20 or 30 or 40 years worth of stuff that is going on. But thanks be to God, he is not that way. Let me ask you a question. What if God were to take and make a videotape of every unworthy thought you had ever had? Every unworthy word you had ever uttered? Every unworthy deed? And every time I came to see you, I go up to hug Myrtle, And she gets a video of all the bad things Brett's thought today. What would that be like? We would all be under our seats right now. If they just started flashing up here on the screen, every one of us. What if on Judgment Day, God played a loop? Because see, some Christians, oh, this is what it's going to be on Judgment Day. God's going to bring up every thought you ever did and the whole universe is going to watch. No, that's not going to happen. That's not the grace of God in Christ Jesus. All of that is washed away by Christ. God's going to magnify every good thing you have done in your life and is going to reward you for every one of those things. There is no lack of him being able to bring up incriminating evidence against me. And thanks be to God, the internet does not forget, but our God has chosen to forget my sins. Our culture does not forget. It brings them up. It throws them up in your face. But God does not do so. And friends, if we walk like our culture, your marriage will not survive and thrive. Your friendships will not last. This is why we can't build lifelong friendships anymore. Because we are going to sin against one another. We are going to fall short. Take it to the bank. The question is, Can we forgive? Can we let things go? So, now, let me say, this does not mean that there's not sometimes consequences, okay? If the church finds out Brett's been embezzling funds, you need to forgive me, you also need to take steps (laughs) that probably include my termination of employment here, okay? Forgiveness does not mean that there's no consequences. David bore consequences for the rest of his life. But notice that's not how Paul is is really predominantly dealing with it here because we are so given towards that, we need to hear the other side. So the question is, what is my attitude? Is my attitude going to be redemptive and forgiving? Or is it going to be narrow and bitter and unforgiving? Am I going to extend this kind of forgiveness to others? and particularly the more, the more we're around each other. It's easy for me to give, forgive somebody that's thousands of miles away. What, what about the people that I live with, I worship with, I'm married to, that we're gonna be rubbing shoulders with? Are we going to be extending forgiveness to others? Will I extend it not only to my friends, but even to people that feel like they're my enemies. Will the church be the culture that in the middle of everybody else doing this says, I'm going to respond to grace to you, even if you're hurling nasty stuff at me? Because you know what? When I was hurling foul things at God, he was kind and gracious to me. Will we act more like God or Satan, whose very name? What does the word Satan mean? Does anybody remember? The accuser. Are we accusers? or are we those who freely forgive? In short, will I forgive the inexcusable in others the way that God forgives the inexcusable in me? Now, we're gonna go ahead and stand, and I'm gonna get ready to lead us in prayer, but I wanna ask you one final question. If you go ahead and stand with me. But I wanna ask you one question. As I'm here preaching this, Is there anybody that the Holy Spirit of God who seals you for the day of redemption has been speaking to your heart? Is there anybody that God has been bringing to your mind to say, I have not forgiven that person? Because if so, then we want to go out of here today asking God to let me forgive them. Let me walk in this. Friend, don't damn up the experience of God's forgiveness in your own heart and life to hold on to some old grudge. It is too expensive. It is not worth it. So as we're doing this prayer, if there is anybody that the Holy Spirit has brought to your mind, confess that. Give that over to God and let the Lord cleanse that. So let's pray. Almighty so that there is nothing good in us. O oh Lord, have mercy on us, those who have offended against you. And Father, we thank you that we know you answer that prayer, that confession, because of Christ Jesus. And therefore, as He has taught us, we turn as well and say, spare those, O God, who confess their faults. Restore those who are penitent according to your promise. Lord Jesus, you have taught us to pray, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. As those who have freshly received pardon and cleansing for our many sins we now promise that by your grace we will forgive just as we have been forgiven and we thank you for your holy spirit who dwells in us and seals us for the day of redemption who empowers us to obey your commands, including the command to forgive as we have been forgiven. So Holy Spirit, fill our church and our homes. Empower us so that we may be the beautiful community full of forgiveness. We ask this In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, in whom all of our sins are forgiven. Amen. Amen. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go forth blessed, fully forgiven, and be a blessing and extend forgiveness to all you meet in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.